Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, winter weather around the state. Arizona's drying out. For the past week, much of the state has been hit hard by a winter storm that dropped inches of rain in some places and feet of snow in others. Zach Ziegler reports on what brought such a wet storm in what was expected to be a dry winter. Arizona's recent storms were part of the atmospheric river that brought disastrous flooding to California, according to National Weather Service meteorologist Carl Cerniglia. Basically, when the flow shifted south, it ended up uh, moving the storm track across to Arizona far enough south that we were actually able to participate in it. The main reason we saw weather that was inconvenient rather than deadly was because we didn't get the full dose that California got. They did receive uh, multiple events um, versus we just kind of received the last couple of them. Um, Also, a lot of the moisture is wrung out from the mountain ranges to our west, which helps out a lot. But that's not to downplay what we received here. We basically, like if you look at the Tucson data or anything along in our area here, We received two months' worth of rain in three days. And he says the slow, soaking storms will be good for Arizona's short-term drought conditions. The monsoon storm, you can have an inch and a half of rain in in an hour. But in this case, we had an inch and a half spread over a couple of days. So that allows it to sink in on site um, and really just be beneficial to the, the whole area. You know, all the vegetation and all the areas benefit from it. And then also... Being we are in the wintertime, we end up with the snow in the mountains. When that melts off, that is a slow soak. So that also helps to get the water into the ground more locally rather than just running it off into the streams and washes. And while skies are clear in recent days, it doesn't mean that the stormy weather is done. Cerniglia says the main difference, though, is the next storms are coming from a different direction. Instead of kind of west-southwest to east-northeast, you know, bringing in a lot of moisture, they're coming down from the north. So they are drier, but they are colder. So don't expect conditions to get back to normal, mild desert winter days just yet. For The Buzz, I'm Zach Ziegler. For the past couple of weeks, the Catalina Highway has been busy, at least when the road's been passable due to recent snowstorms. Those same storms have breathed life into Mount Lemmon Ski Valley, a spot that the operators say is the southernmost ski spot in the continental United States. It's also the lone downhill ski area in Arizona where, when you hop off the chairlift high above Tucson, you'll always ride natural snow down the hill. AZPM's Paula Rodriguez took a trip up the mountain recently. One of the skiers she met was Patrick Flanagan, who's been skiing Mount Lemmon since 1990. We'll come up when they're open because because of the climatic situations here, you know, we just... They don't, they don't have normal ski seasons. So when they're able to open, it's you have to take advantage. Flanagan was taking a lunch break at his car with some of his friends, and they were making use of a portable grill they'd brought up. I've kind of taken the approach to tailgate, you know, like you would do for a football game, and we do that when we go skiing, which just seems to be kind of something no one really does. But it, it's something I've been doing for about 10 or 12 years. And we, we're always here grilling. Anytime we come up, we make for sure that, that we have the ability to grill and have a, a picnic at it. He says it's a chance for desert dwellers to get a taste of colder weather. 
You know, Mount Lemmon's a treasure. It's not a secret, but it is a treasure. Most of the people that you see coming up and, and going here aren't skiing. They're coming up to see snow and, you know, they don't know that you can't sled here. And, you know, it's snow's kind of a spectacle for the desert. When Flanagan makes it back to the slopes, he might see Michael Rodriguez, who's been a snowboard instructor at Mount Lemmon Ski Valley for 12 years and is in his first season as a supervisor. What makes this place magical is the fact that it's only open when it snows. Um, we don't have like water pumping up like other resorts where we could have man-made snow. Um, but if it was up to me and I had 10 million bucks, I would buy this place and get water up here and be open by Thanksgiving. But the, the beauty of this place is that it's only open like maybe 12 days a year for skiing and snowboarding because it's all based on the natural terrain. Rodriguez says he was hired by Brian Ashby, for whom the ski school is named. Ever since then, it's just been really a family vibe up here. And uh, my buddy Peanut, he's actually my instructor. Um, he's certified for teaching advanced riders. So he's taken me through trees here where I thought I was going to die. But I made it out alive, but super dangerous, <laughs> to say the least. When Rodriguez says Mount Lemon Ski Valley has a family feel, there's probably a good reason. It's been a family-owned business since it opened. Paolo Rodriguez also recently spoke with Graham Davies, the son of the ski area's founder and its current manager. To jump right on in, tell me about how your family business got started. Uh, my father in the 60s had some uh, like ski and surf shops in Tucson and Phoenix. Um, he was at the U of A and he just learned how to ski. So he started, uh, experimenting with skiing and stuff like that. And he just got involved in the retail side. And then it slowly morphed into getting a chance to acquire the ski area. So he took a shot and in 69, he took over the ski area and then developed it into what it is now. How did you get looped into the business? I've always been a super mechanical type of person. Um, and to run a ski area on top of a mountain or anywhere else remotely, you kind of need to have that type of person or you'll go broke, you know, hiring people to come fix all your stuff. So it slowly, um, I used to do the maintenance and stuff like that. And then just slowly morphed into more and more and more. And then I went away for college. Um, and after college, you know, I didn't really know what I was going to do, but, um, I thought it'd be fun to work here. So. Uh, I came back and worked with my dad for the last, whatever it's been, 25, 30 years. Like you said, a ski destination on top of a mountain, I'm sure, requires a lot of maintenance. Does keeping those services in-house help with balancing costs? Yeah, very much so. Um, we probably do, I don't know, 95% of all maintenance and repairs in-house. So it, it helps a lot. If you just had a restaurant or whatever on the top of this mountain, I mean, you better budget pretty hefty for uh, repair services and stuff like that. It adds up really fast. What do you think has kept you in business all of these years? I think we maintain the area to a high standard. It's always very clean. Um, whether it's summer or winter, I think our product is good, whether it be a restaurant or a lift ride or a ski trail or something like that. You know, we try our best. Um, so it's not, you know, showing up to some shady, you know, beat down area, you know, it's very scenic, it's attractive, you know, it's a, the ambiance is very good. 
It's not common to be able to ski in the desert. From Family Lore, what was it like to bring the business to its feet and gain the reputation it has now? It's taken, I'm sure it's taken, you know, the lifetime of the, the mountain. You know, everybody who comes here, you know, has a memory of it. Um, we, you know, I meet people from all over the world who have skied here. You know, it's, it sounds weird, but it's true. And, you know, lots of Tucsonans and Southern Arizonans, you know, grew up skiing here and have moved on to bigger and better. But, you know, they always remember Mount Lemmon. You've seen people from all over the world visit Mount Lemmon. What's been the most interesting place that someone has traveled from? We've had a lot from Australia over the years. And I always think that's pretty interesting, people from Australia. I mean, a lot of them come, you know, for the Southern Arizona Dude Ranch experience and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, but they make day trips to come up and see the mountains. And most of them are amazed that, you know, there's a mountain that you can ski an hour outside of Tucson. Unlike other ski resorts, Ski Valley only uses natural snow. Because of that, realistically, how many days are the ski slopes open? Uh, you know, it varies year to year to year. Last last year was five weeks. You know, this year we're just starting our second week, so we'll see how long it goes. The longest one that I can remember off the top of my head was 98. And in 98, we started skiing on December 20th, and we stopped skiing on April 20th. And the only reason we stopped skiing on April 20th is because no one showed up to ski. Everybody was skied out, and they were done. Other Arizona ski resorts make snow. Why doesn't Ski Valley follow that same method? Uh, one water it takes a lot of water to make a decent amount of snow and you got to have the storage capacities, you know, to, to be able to capture the water. Most ski areas who make snow either have large holding ponds, um, actually probably all of them do, but lots of them also have rivers flowing nearby that they can, uh, grab water out of the rivers and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, Mount Lemmon is kind of different in that respect that we don't have a major river or major, you know, catchment system for water basins. Does the current drought in Arizona affect your choice to not make snow? Um, it could be. Um, I know like Arizona Snowball is using reclaimed water, so they've figured out a way to, you know, um, experiment and try something new. But, um, you know, th it's just cost, too. It's extremely expensive. How do you all sustain yourselves when there is no skiing? Um, so we're a year-round operation. We're as busy in the summer as we are in the winter. When it's 110 in Tucson, you know, we top out at mid 70s so we have no problem getting people up here to ride the lift or take a hike or eat in a restaurant or buy some fudge or you know merchandise in the gift shop that kind of stuff um, so we're here 365 you know going 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 it's hard to imagine winter sports in the desert now include the fact that not a lot of tucsonans have seen snow before so how do you best describe some of the reactions you have seen when people come to visit we see it every winter, whether it's people from Sonora or, you know, we get a lot of people from Africa, too, that, you know, I've never seen snow. And so we see it every winter. You'll see people running around, you know, making a snowball and having a fight because they've never seen snow and they don't quite comprehend it. Considering the novelty of your business and where it's located, how do you best describe to people what you do? Me personally, I'm a manager, an HR person, a mechanic, troubleshooter. Uh, jack of all trades. And for the business? Uh, for the business, I would title myself as area manager. What's the biggest misunderstanding of having a ski destination in the Sonoran Desert? Huh, biggest, um, probably that we uh, 
don't ski every year. I mean, we've had one season in the last whatever it's been that we've been around 50 and 60 years, you know, we've only had one season that we didn't ski. So um, just the misconception of how often we ski or how long we ski, you know, it was widely reported on the news when we opened this year that we hadn't skied for two years, the last two years. So, you know, that alone was not correct. So probably the amount of skiing we do get is probably the most misinformed. Is there anything that I have not asked about, whether that be about your business or something that people might not know about that you would like to mention? I'm sure, you know, we get a lot of, you know, people who think we're just some arm of some major corporation or something like that, but we're not. We're a little mom and pop shop. So, you know, each one of our employees puts a lot of blood, sweat and tears into this business to make it work. And, you know, and that's what it takes to survive. You're a mom and pop shop, so longevity is always something to think about when it comes to your business. Where do you see it heading? Who knows, you know? Uh, I mean, I have brothers and sisters with kids, and I have two boys. You know, it'll be forever morphing, I guess. You know, I don't know what my dad thought would happen or my mom thought would happen with it, but, it, you know, it's been 50-some years and it's still going. Well, it's a highly loved and treasured business in Tucson, so there's a lot of hope to see it continue. Exactly. Well, Graham, thank you so much for talking with me today. No problem. Thank you very much. That was Mount Lemon Ski Valley Area Manager Graham Davies speaking with AZPM's Paula Rodriguez. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. We're looking at skiing in Arizona this week. While slopes in our state are often known for warm temperatures and blue skies, those conditions can be dangerous. That's why the Kachina Avalanche Center spends the ski season monitoring the slopes of one of the state's top ski destinations, the San Francisco Peaks near Flagstaff. I spoke with James Folks about how the center works to keep the thousands who visit the peaks near Flagstaff each winter safe. They are a big deal. Um, most people assume, just like you do, that, you know, because we're in Arizona, it don't occur. But really, avalanches can occur on any slope at a certain steepness um, that has certain characteristics. You know, to have an avalanche, you have to have a, a weak layer that that avalanche breaks on. You've got to have a hard layer over the top of it, which creates that weight and creates the, all this rubble that comes down on the mountain. And then you have to have a trigger, which sometimes it's just a natural avalanche, like a, a change in temperature that happens throughout the day or a big warm up, or in the case of a human involved avalanche, um, it's that human themselves, whether snowshoeing, hiking, skiing, or snowboarding. Well, for people who aren't familiar with avalanches, that all sounds fairly terrifying. Uh, but, you know, with Arizona's, especially southern Arizona, where we do get snow up on the mountains, like I said, I can see it right now. The Mount Lemon Ski Village is open, but we get those big fluctuations in temperature. Are we in Arizona more prone to avalanches than, say, Colorado and Utah, where so many people go skiing at all the well-known resorts? I would say the slopes themselves are perhaps no different. There are regional differences between Arizona and say Utah and California. But again, you know, there are weather dependencies there. And given these days, uh, weather's all over the place. Um, I would say probably just from a understanding of, you know, people reading incidents, the fact that there's just a lot more terrain in those states like the Sierra Nevada or Colorado 
So you're probably getting a factor of you hear more accidents in those states because there's just the sheer acreage of the terrain. Whereas here in Arizona, you know, we're really dominated by sky islands like the Catalinas and up here, the San Francisco peaks. So, you know, you've got a, a much more finite area where avalanches can occur. But to answer your question, um, again, anywhere there's snow and a steeper slope, avalanches can occur. So you also mentioned human caused someone out snowshoeing or something like that. What are some things that those of us who don't spend a lot of time in the snow, what are things we need to be careful when we're out on the mountains around Arizona? I, I think the first thing would be um, knowledge of your environment. You know, over the last couple of decades, outdoor equipment has really evolved to enable people to do more than say people did, you know, a couple de decades ago, the equipment's better, um, you can stay warmer, um, the technology that people have, things like cell phones, spot messengers, other emergency messengers, gives everybody sort of this false sense of uh, safety when they go out into these, and I should remind people, they're still very wild places that operate under their own set of rules. And so I would say awareness is the first thing that anybody should be um, thinking of. Um, educating themselves is probably the second that comes after awareness. You know, there are free resources out there through the National Avalanche Center here in this country that you can go and you can do little, you know, sort of tutorials on how to recognize avalanche terrain that you might find yourself in and then how to, to manage your risk appropriately based on that. But it all starts with just being aware that, hey, once you put yourself out there, if you're getting onto a steep slope, just because it doesn't look like that movie you saw where the avalanche comes down the mountain in the Alps doesn't mean that it can't happen to you on, say, Mount Lemmon or up here in Flagstaff. So let's talk a little bit about what you all do as as a company, as an organization, now that we've talked a little bit about safety for those of us who don't get to play in the snow all mm -hmm. the time. So uh, the Kachina Peaks Avalanche Center is a, a nonprofit, uh, federally recognized nonprofit, 501c3, all those letters and numbers. And our primary mission is to provide education to the general public um, about uh, the snow risks in here, uh, in the mountains here in Northern Arizona. And so we do that through a variety of mechanisms. We teach certification classes um, that allow people to essentially recognize the dangers and then appropriately manage those dangers and their behaviors associated with those dangers. Um, but we also put on free clinics um, every year uh, throughout the, the, the winter months to give people just a really quick and dirty idea of uh, the risks associated with some of their activities. And then lastly, um, we actually uh, provide a weekly snow danger forecast, uh, which is fairly new for us. Previously, we were providing just an advisory. How do you go about putting together a snow danger forecast? It's hard enough to forecast the weather. Now we're you know talking about danger of weather that's already happened. Right. So um, we have snow technicians that actually go out into the field on the mountain and are doing survey um, assessments on the snowpack itself. So, you know, snow's uh, a record of the, the, the winter weather and it accumulates like a layer cake throughout the season. And um, those layers are not static, you know, 
anybody who's seen snow fall, it falls at a certain thickness and then it sort of over time will compact. And then as it warms up, it might develop a ice crust on the top, a sun crust or a wind crust, and then more snow falls on it. And all these various layers um, have different densities and they interact with each other differently. Some adhere to themselves well, some don't. And it's those areas where they don't adhere to themselves well, where you can get potential avalanches. So identification of some of those factors and then monitoring of those suspect layers throughout the season helps you know, us prepare essentially a summary uh, that describes to an individual you know, what the layers are doing on a certain aspect or elevation, whether that's a north-facing slope versus, say, an east-facing slope. And then we just put that together on our website and publish that um, for a finite time period that expires and then rinse and repeat, we go out and do another assessment. When it comes to avalanches, I think a lot of people, when they hear about human intervention, think about the crews that go out and do that forecasting and then say, oh, this is a dangerous area and and cause the avalanche so it can be more controlled, if you will. Do you guys do that or is there anybody who you work with that does that in northern Arizona? So we don't do anything active or proactively in, in terms of avalanche mitigation. Um, we're just making assessments and then we're publishing that information to allow recreationists to make better choices. Um, the intervention actually happens within uh, ski area boundaries. So what I was talking about before happens outside the boundaries of a ski area. And in this case, it's Arizona Snowball up here in Northern Arizona. Um, we do have people on our board who work with Arizona Snowball as patrollers. They are responsible for some of those more active interventions like creating, intentionally creating uh, an avalanche um, proactively after hours in a safe manner so that it, that avalanche doesn't affect, you know, th their customers, uh, skiers and snowboarders. Um, but, you know, we're not involved in that. When we talk about avalanches, you mentioned the movies and videos we've all seen of the big ones coming down the Alps and Switzerland and things like that. They don't necessarily have to be those big taking trees and houses and large boulders with them type of thing to be called an avalanche, A, and B, be dangerous if you're caught in it. Oh, absolutely. In fact, you know, I, I've been involved in avalanche education and assessment for, oh geez, maybe 15 years now. And it still is astonishing to me when I look at the accident reports, how innocuous a lot of the terrain looks like, how minor um, some of these terrain features are. And what I mean by that are, you know, just little depressions that someone may be buried under. And the point is, you don't have to have this sort of awe-inspiring panoramic of the you know, the Alps and you're standing under this giant slope, you know, an inch of snow over a wide area that releases can easily bury you if you are already in a depression. And so that's part of the understanding is, is changing this perception of what a danger actually looks like versus say what is depicted in the movie. So you're absolutely correct. It doesn't take much to and train you in, in snow. And once you're in there, it's very difficult to get out. You said just now, change the perception of what danger is. Why is that changing? Or why hasn't it changed, maybe? I think it's just, um, 
a lack of just understanding in general. I mean, we, we tend to think um, as snow as this very light and fluffy thing that you play in as a kid with snowball fights and all that. If, if you ever got to do that, you know, if you grew up in Tucson, Arizona or Phoenix, like myself, you didn't, but still you came to places and you experienced it. And I think that sticks with us. Um, and let's face it, I mean, avalanche education anywhere is sort of this obscure thing that not a lot of people get into. Um, but again, because of, you know, an REI on, in every city now or any other outdoor store with wonderful equipment, I should say, and then things like snowmobiles, I mean, you can really put yourself out in areas where, say, 50 years ago you didn't. So um, people are getting into situations where they're rapidly getting into more dangerous situations for themselves without realizing it. So I think that recognition is lacking. It hasn't kept up with, um, say, the enabling factors that allow us to do wonderful things outdoors. You mentioned growing up in Phoenix. I grew up in South Florida, again, not known for its big snowball fights, uh, (laughs) much like Phoenix. But a lot of us do come up to Flagstaff and to other places are people surprised when they see you all out there and see your forecasts that avalanches are a thing? No, it's, it, it, people just don't know. And I don't think that's their fault. Um, again, you know, it's Arizona. We have avalanches in Arizona. You know, there's still people who live here in Flagstaff that are surprised to hear that avalanches occur on the mountain. So yeah, it's, it's just an awareness thing. Yeah, you you growing up in the desert can tell people about dust storms. I can tell people about tides uh, <laughs> and riptides and things like that. Right. It's just not what we grew up with. All right, well, perfect. Thanks for spending some time with us. Of course. That was James Folks with the Kachina Avalanche Center. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Zach Ziegler is our producer with production help from Samantha Larned. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.